0: You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com.
1: He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. By the blood of the cross, him we proclaim.
0: You just uh, preliminaries, um, before we jump in, we're in Colossians chapter 1, but uh, if you are a Georgia Tech fan... I apologize, I just, you probably have a better job than most of us, but we did beat you yesterday. And so, um, secondly, if you are on the uh, CBC Kids team, just let me encourage you and thank you. So last Sunday, obviously, was kind of a, we didn't know what was gonna happen because, you know, hurricane or whatever. And so, uh, you guys rock. We were able to do a full CBC Kids Sunday, which we were thinking only gonna be able to do downstairs, but the, the team there, if you have children over there, uh, you ought to thank them. It was just awesome that we were able to, to, to put a whole team together and, and, and no classes closed last week. So that's awesome. So I just pray that I'll continue that maybe some of you guys that are not plugged in yet into a, a, a ministry, that would be maybe someplace you would think about serving because it's just an awesome team. Um, and then thirdly, we, you, know, you saw in the video, we had an announcement, there's, there's, we're partnering with several churches, Compassion on the one for a fostering and adoption. We, we are a pro-life church because we believe the scripture's teach life is valuable, but what it often means in, in kind of our Christianity, our Southern Christianity, is it means we're anti-abortion, which is true, but being pro-life is far more than just one little facet, right, so, so we, we support and are engaged in ministries uh, that are not just one facet, so we uh, support Molly's Bridge, which, which is for those women who have given birth and have no place to go afterwards, Right, and and we uh, support the Living Vine, and and we support fostering and adoption, and so that we want to run the gamut of what it means to be pro-life, uh, and so there's going to be several opportunities over the next few weeks uh, and and months, really, some activities, whether it's Covenant Care has a trail run, we support that ministry locally, and some other things, and so you'll hear about those. Uh, but if you're interested in in fostering adoption, anything supporting in that way, uh, just Kind of keep your, you know, ears to, to the announcements and to the bulletin of what we're doing there because we want to be engaged uh, and and facilitating a culture of life because life is valuable because we're made in the image of God, and so uh, just a heads up on those couple issues. Uh, we're in Colossians one. If you're new to CBC, I'm glad you're here. My name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And what we typically do on a Sunday is we teach through books of the Bible. And so we've been teaching. This is our fourth week. In the book of Colossians, it's a little letter written by a man named Paul to a group of people while he is sitting in prison. And so we've been working through that. And we have little booklets in the back if you want to kind of follow along. We have memory verses that hopefully some of you guys are still engaging in that. Uh, this weekend, my, me and my, uh, my third born, uh, we were, it was, it was it's just a sweet time. We were playing classic vintage video games from the 80s and 90s. It was so fun. I was smoking him Um, because you know these new games have like 65 buttons and all these things the old games man, the old Nintendo games man it was awesome so we're playing and I'm I'm thinking man there are just things I wish my kids could experience from my childhood right I mean I just wish they would be able to know the struggle of trying to get the needle on the record in between the two songs some of you are like you don't even know what that means but others you're like yes I remember that Right? I, I want them to be able to know what it's like to just cram 16 eight-year-olds in the back of a station wagon after a baseball game and go to Dairy Queen, and that'd be completely illegal and fun, right? Don't do that, by the way. Um, I want them to know, this was, I want them to know the toys of my childhood. These, these, these are, um, this is, on the right, that is called an Apple Watch, 1980 version, okay? And on the left, this was like a, I used to sit in my, my bed every night and play this football game for hours. It was, this is like a, a, the Nintendo Switch for that back then. I don't know, what that, an iPhone, I don't know. Um, I, I want my kids to know what it's like to turn on MTV, which is it's a station that used to play music. I don't know what they do now, but they don't do that apparently. And, and try to find and just wait for the thriller video to come on. <laughs> it came on every hour, not the short version, the long version, right? the whole long thriller video, or go to the movies and see Rocky defeat Ivan Drago, Rocky IV, and really feel like the United States beat Russia. <laughs> to go to the mall with $5 in quarters and be able to spend an hour and a half in an arcade and just, oh man, they will never know these things, right? And really... What I'm, what I'm saying, these are all just kind of little mini experiences. What I'm really desiring is that they would experience the 80s. That they would know and feel what it's like to be a child of the 80s. That's what my, that's really what's at the core there. The Apostle Paul, in the text we're gonna look at today, he is going to, to do something very similar. He's going to open his heart and be like, I wish, this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to experience Because remember, Paul has never met these people. They may have heard of him and they may have heard about him and he's heard about them and he's excited about some growth and he's writing about some challenges, but they have never met him face to face. So they don't know him. And so this is a very personal section of the letter and he's gonna kind of open his heart and be like, here's what makes me tick. Here's what I wish you could experience and know about who I am. And he's gonna mention one main idea, that like Growing up in the 80s, there's gonna be a bunch of little peripherals right in the back of the truck, going to see Rocky, Dairy Queen, you know, all these things. But there's, there's this one overarching principle, right, that he wants them to know. And that's what we're gonna look at today as we unpack Colossians 1. So chapter 1, we're gonna look at verses 24 through uh, chapter 2, verse 5. What is this driving force that, that he wants them to get? And what are these peripherals? And I want you to remember as we read this, this is a letter. This is a real letter from a real guy sitting in a real prison to a real group of people. Okay, this is not, he's not writing and saying, this is what I, how do I want them to preach this in the future? This is gonna be a sermon one day. This is him kind of opening his heart. And so it's very personal, but it's also a little bit all over the place. There's there's not a lot of good, there's not structure like you normally see like three points or this. He's kind of, interacts and, and kind of repeats himself and kind of goes all over the place. So I'm gonna read our text, and then here's what we'll do. We'll come back, we'll identify that one big thing, that living in the 80s piece, and then we'll kind of unpack those peripherals because that's where I think we'll find some application for us, all right? Let me, let me read our text in its entirety, uh, and then we'll, and we'll jump in. Remember what he's just said, we looked at two weeks ago, that Jesus is creator, he is sustainer, he is God, he is Messiah. He's all these things. He's the firstborn of creation, the firstborn for the resurrection. He's just unpacked that. Here's where he picks up, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make known the word of God fully. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So, so what is that big thing that he kind of hit over and over? He said it, okay, multiple different times and multiple different ways, but what is that living in the 80s piece, right? If you boil it all down, you say, Paul, what, what, what is it that makes you tick? What is it that you want them to know, and, and not just them, us? He wants people. He dreams of people, he loves people getting to know God. He, he proclaims Christ. He wants people to know what God is doing and how he's bringing broken humans into relationship with himself through Christ and what he has done. I mean, again, he says it multiple times. Look, verse 24 and 25. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions uh, for his sake, the body of the church. Then I became a, a minister according to the stewardship from God given to me to what? To make the word fully known. He wants it to be fully known, 27 through 29. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of glory. Which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. Talking about him so that people will mature in Christ. Chapter two, verse one. This is why I struggle. I, I, I'm struggling uh, for you and those in Laodicea that your hearts are encouraged. Why? So that you will know God's mystery, which is Christ. It's just constant. He wants people to know. He wants people to hear. He proclaims Christ. He wants them to know Christ. That's the overarching drive of the apostle. That's his, I want my kids to know what it's like to be in the 80s. That's, that's what makes him tick. Right? And, and it's not just for him. Here's, here's the transition. So he, he starts off, I picked this up after kind of staring at the text for hours this week. He starts off, he says, I, I did this, I do this, I do this. This was given for me, to me, to me, I, 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 I. But he makes this transition in verse 28, right? Where he says, Him now we proclaim. It's not just I anymore. I do this, I did this, God did this to me. Now it's we. Him we proclaim, and that sounds a little wooden, right? That's very Yoda, like, him we proclaim, right? That's kinda how it sounds, and it's on purpose. The reason why the ESV translates it like this way, because in normal English, good English is subject, verb, direct object, right? That's sixth grade English, right? Subject, verb, but here you have direct object, subject, verb, not good English, but it's great theology, because in the original language, the original Greek, Paul puts that word him right up front, him. It's as if he, it's in the original, this would be like putting a bold highlighter, circling it, little stars or flowers or whatever your Bible you do. That's what he's doing. He's drawing attention to, it's about him. We proclaim him. It, it, this is what we do, right? That's that's the idea that we proclaim, and it's 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 a continuous idea, it's in the present tense. We continually proclaim, we continually announce, and the word proclaim just means to make known, right? To put on display. So, some of you went to the Georgia game and you were singing your song, glory, glory to the You know, I learned the song last week, and to heck with Pastor Bill, I got that song now, right? (laughs) You're proclaiming something, that you worship Georgia. Right, glory, glory, you do a little Georgia, right? Right, or are you gonna, some of you go to a Braves game and you do the, the Florida State chop, and it is their chop. Uh, floor, you know, the, what are you proclaiming? Right, you're proclaiming, this is my team. I'm going to Atlanta in like an hour and 15 minutes. I'm gonna be singing Fly Eagles Fly in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. What am I proclaiming, right? I'm proclaiming something. I am making known, I am putting on display. And, and what Paul says is what I'm about is putting Jesus on display and so should we be, If even the rocks cry out, if the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, then what about the people of God? See, that's the point. That 80s, I want my kids in the 80s, the point is that it is our job to proclaim, to put on display, to make him known. That's what he does, that's what he wants us to do. And so here's the question, how do we do that? How do we proclaim him? Paul mentions several different ways, and this is the peripherals. This is riding in the back of the pickup truck. This is going to the arcade. This is, you know, those little things, right? This is the how we do it. And I originally had like six, but I boiled it down to three because I figured I wouldn't be able to get out of here in an hour. Um, Let me give you three ways where we practically, Savannah, Georgia, 2019, can put Jesus on display so we can proclaim him just day by day. Here's the first one, ready? We proclaim him by being other-centered, by, by being about people. You could say by serving. Notice again what Paul says. Notice the language, okay, just the repetition. I'm gonna work through it here, all right? Verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the church, for y'all. Right? I became a, a steward. I became a, a minister. The word minister is the word diakonos, It's the word we get deacon from. He says, I'm a servant. The whole idea of being a servant is I serve someone else. Right? It's about it's about you, not about me. Right? Verse 28. Him we proclaim, teaching everyone else. That we present everyone else. It's about other people. Chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know how great struggle I have for you and for the Laodicea and for everybody that hasn't seen my face, which is you. Paul was struggling for you, over and over and over and over. He's giving of himself, he's sacrificing for, for others. He's constantly pouring himself out. One of the greatest ways in which we proclaim him is yes, our mouth's important, but so is our actions. It's in giving our lives away and serving each other. Right, why, because the son of man didn't even come to be served. That's a messianic title, but came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. When you serve others in the name of Jesus, it proclaims him. It says he's the point. I'm not the point, he's the point. And we have a culture that wants to be the point. Because you got, oh I gotta take a picture of my lunch because everyone wants to see my lunch. Isn't that a great burger? Here's me in the mirror six times in a row. This is where I ran today. This is a mountain. This is the sky. Like me, please. I'm the point. That's the culture we live in. And when we give ourselves away, it frees us from the tyranny of self and it actually says, I'm not the stinking point. He is. That's what serving does, right? And it puts Jesus on display. When you can rejoice, look at verse two, chapter two, verse five. He says, I'm rejoicing in what? You, but you're in prison. How are you rejoicing? Because I wanna see your good order. I wanna see you grow in your firmness. Here's, here's a way you can know if you are a servant, if you are proclaiming him. When you can rejoice and find true joy in the triumph of someone else, when you are not triumphing, right? When you can, when your kid is trying to get the scholarship or trying to get into the school or trying to get that job and someone else's kid is trying to get the same thing and they get it and you can actually honestly celebrate with them. See, then you know that you're proclaiming him. Or when you and this other guy are going for the same job or maybe you're going for the same job, different company and and you still haven't got the promotion but he gets the promotion and you can have legit joy for your buddy even though you didn't get it. That's proclaiming him. Or on the flip side, if you do have success, you're the big quarterback, you're the big star on the team and you win the game, good for you. And you're able to point to other people and say, man, that was a great pass. Or man, my coaches have been awesome. My parents have been taking me to practice for years and have been sacrificing and eating ramen noodles so that I could go here. And you could point to other people or you closed the big deal, but you had 65 people working for you you did the great surgery, but you had someone cleaning up after you had someone preparing, and you can say, good job. I couldn't have done that without you, thank you. You're, you're awesome, right? See, that, that's, that's showing that you're proclaiming someone else other than you. Let's put Jesus on display, right? That's what it is. It's in humility, it's what Paul says in Philippians 2. In humility, don't recount yourself as more important than others, and it starts, y'all, here's, it start, we, we make it big. It starts little. You know where it starts? It's you driving down Sanders and not mowing over 63 old ladies so you can park five feet closer. Because for some reason in the South, we've, we got to get as close as we can. And, and instead of saying, I'm gonna park on 72nd Street because I need to walk anyway, which is true for some of you. Because you've been eating fried chicken all night, so you need to get in here and walk. I'll probably get an email on that one. (sighs) Okay, But it's the idea of, look, there may be a visitor that doesn't know that you're supposed to park wherever. And they don't know the 1045 service because y'all are a weird bunch. Let me tell you, if you come to ever, you'll see how at nine, this place is filled and everyone's here already. At 1045, there's three of y'all. And so we're doing a welcome and announcements like, Hey, glad you three are here this morning. Greet each other. So they may not know that, and so they're trying to find a parking space and you took the closest spot because you had to get close. And a servant says, no, I'm gonna park on 72nd because there might be someone that has no clue and they're gonna be able to park out front because I did that. That's what we're talking about. Or even, here's another weird thing about the service. And so, you know, we got spots in the middle and I know it's weird when the greeter comes down and you're sitting on the edge and they're like, are those three taken? And you feel like saying, yes, it's the Holy Ghost spot. <laughs> right? But you're like, yes, and it's all weird. And it's, Instead, you see that person, you're like, you could say, oh, yeah, we'll move over. Sally, move over. We'll move down. A seat's not yours. You may have written your name on it, the glory of God on me underneath, but it's not yours. But what you're saying is, no, it's my comfort, my normal spot is not as important as that person. It's little stuff, right? And what it really stands out is when we do this for people that are different or can't repay us, or are not like us. Paul's whole ministry, by the way, remember, and he, say, he alludes to this in chapter 1, verse 26. He says, My job is to reveal the mystery that's been hidden to generations but now revealed. What's the mystery? He's not talking about something mysterious, not, not Scooby Doo and Shaggy. He's talking about something that was prior unknown, that was secret, but now has been revealed. What was that? That the Jew and the Gentile are now one in the church. That was not revealed clearly in the Old Testament. But it is clear now. And if you remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. How did he feel about Gentiles? He hated them. He despised them. They were unclean. And yet now God has sent him to minister to the very people he used to hate. And you wanna know about racism and classism? That was there. It still is. That's why he writes some of his letters in the New Testament. They're still dealing with it. But the idea that you can serve someone who is not like you and who can't repay you, that's, that, that is what we're talking about. One of the things we're doing as a church, just to let you guys know, two weeks from today... Uh, we're gonna worship again with Beulah Baptist. Beulah Baptist is a uh, kind of a sister church for those of you who are new in town, predominantly African-American church. My buddy Lee is the pastor and we, we hang out a lot. They're coming over here and they're gonna lead us and we're, gonna, we're just gonna be together again. We do it twice a year usually. Um, they are in a building project right now where this is, their church is a very, they don't have a lot of money. It's, not, it's, a, it's a poorer church, Right? Uh, it's an inner city church and they're trying to raise about $800,000 for this project. They've raised about a third of it so far so they could expand their sanctuary and, and add their, their, busting out of the seams. And so what we're doing that Sunday, we haven't told them yet, so, so just keep it under wraps, is our entire offering, whatever it is, every dime of it is going to their building project. All right? So, so if, you, if you're looking to give extra, now that doesn't mean like don't tie for like five weeks just so you can save it up or anything or something like that, but if you're looking to give extra or something, that'd be a great week because it's all going to them, right? And, and they can't repay us, that's fine. We don't, it's not our money anyway. God's blessed us, we're debt free. We're gonna give to them, right? But that's the idea is that you give without wanting to get, that you serve without wanting to be served, right? This is what God's called us to, Galatians 5. You were called to freedom, brothers, so don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Use it to serve God one another in love, right? And, and when you do, it proclaims something. So you need to understand too in God's economy that I'm proclaiming Jesus, but so is the lady that's hugging that little baby right now in the back. And she's proclaiming Jesus just as much as me. And the person that helped you find a seat and prepared your coffee and the security guys that are running around, they're, pro- they're proclaiming him because they're serving him. That's why we encourage, that's why we tell our members, if you're a member here, you should be serving. Somewhere, not everywhere, but somewhere. That's what God has called us to. And not just here, especially when we leave. It's important here, because the family's gotta serve each other, but especially when we leave. And so when you go to Sam's this afternoon and you pull up your minivan and there's there's a lady emptying her cart and she's about to do what everyone hates and leave the cart there, that you go up to her and say, hey, I'll take that one, I'll use that one. And I know there's some weirder version that we have to using someone else's cart because it's like, I don't know why, we'll take one out of the big rack that was used three minutes ago, but we won't take hers, right? They do have these wipes now that you can wipe it down. We didn't have those in the 80s and we survived, by the way. (laughs) Go figure. But just, I'll take that for you. Serving, you're more important than me. I'm gonna take that for you, right? If you're you're a kid in the house and one of the kids is sick and it was supposed to be his dishwasher day, other kid, you take his dishwasher day because he can't do it. And if he doesn't do it, guess who has to do it? Mom and dad have to do it. And we've done our fair share of dishes, it's your turn. (laughs) But it's just saying you're more important. Visiting your great aunt in the hospital who her kids haven't visited her in six months or she's at the nursing home, but you go. Because she's more important, and there, I mean, the, there's endless applications, right? The point is, yours, you have to stop. We have to stop seeing ourselves as beneficiaries of the church and start seeing ourselves as servants of the church. I mean, how radical would it make your marriage, for those married, if you would wake up in the morning tomorrow, not trying to find all the things that your spouse has done wrong, but your goal is to, to serve them, get their coffee, empty the dryer vacuum something, whatever. Not find all the faults, to be an encourager. If teenagers, if you would, would aim not to be such a burden, <laughs> and you are, but to be a blessing. It's like, hey mom, I'll take, I'll take old boy to soccer practice today so you don't have to. I'll, I'll fold the laundry. I'll pay for myself in something. If you, as a boss, would go into work tomorrow and you got four employees, you got six employees, whatever, and you would just say, hey, how can I pray for you? How was your weekend? How can I help you get better at your job? How can I encourage you? But you're the boss, exactly. Son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve. If this would be just the mentality of the church, just down the line, be radical, wouldn't it? What it would do for our relationships? One of the ways we proclaim him is we are other centered, is that we serve others. That's what Paul does. Second one, it's a hard one now. All right, get ready. Second way we proclaim him is we have joy despite things stinking. That's how I wrote it down in my notes. We're joyful despite our circumstances. Did you, did you, pick, did you see how the, the text is bookended by joy, verse 24? I rejoice. In my sufferings for your sake? How does it end? Verse five, I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing. This text is bookended by joy, right? One of the common themes in scripture is that we, as followers of Jesus, can have joy even when things stink, right? Doesn't mean we enjoy it now, there, there's a difference. I know, and I know there's some people that have this kind of weird, Uh, theology of suffering that the goal is to make my life as hard as possible because if I just pursue hardness then I will be super spiritual. Paul's going to get into that next chapter and say that's dumb. That's that's my summary but he says that's no value for the flesh. Asceticism and legalism are dumb. Uh, it's, It's just I mean we like to think of Paul like oh he was Paul he had a halo and he didn't care about if he ever ate or are you kidding me? Are you telling me that if you ask Paul, Paul, would you rather be in jail or be free? He would say, "Oh, I'd I, I choose jail every time." If you, if you he'd say you want a big steak with bacon and you know Fanta orange with it, or you eat stale bread, you're gonna. I'm gonna choose the stale bread. No, he loved his freedom. He loved walking with friends and laughing, and he wanted to sleep comfortable and eat good food. He wasn't like just some guy that didn't notice those things. Right? But for some reason, when he didn't have those things, he was able to have joy to be content. How? I think verse 24 alludes to it. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. He says, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. What does that mean? That's a, you know, you can read a bunch of stuff on it. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that what Jesus accomplished on the cross wasn't enough. It cannot mean that. Let the scripture interpret scripture. Jesus on the cross, after he breathes his last, he says, it is finished. Done, Tetelestai, paid in full. His sacrifice was sufficient to pay for your sins. Christ died once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. it's not saying that Jesus did this part and then you gotta finish the work. That's not what he is saying. It cannot be. That would be heretical in saying that his perfect life and his holiness and his sinlessness were not enough, that you have to add to it. That's not the case, right? It's not talking about purgatory as the Church of Rome has tried to make it. Well, after, if you've had a really bad life and you're, you know, you, you were a Georgia fan, then you gotta go to purgatory for six months or something and burn that off and then you get to go. That's not what he's talking about either. What, right, There's pointed for men to die once, and then comes the judgment. So what is he talking about? The idea is this, you are so united to Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, we read it. You are in Christ, that whatever happens to you, it's as if it happens to Jesus. When you suffer, when you struggle for the name of Christ, it's as if he is. This is why Paul, when he is persecuting the church, before he's Paul, he's Saul, and Jesus knocks him off his horse. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting what? Me. Well, I'm not. I'm persecuting the church. No, Jesus and his church are one, y'all. So, what happens to Jesus happens to us, just like in the body. The body suffers one member, then all suffer. The body rejoices. There's a, a oneness. And so, Paul says, I'm just filling up what's lacking. There's still suffering to come because Jesus hasn't come back, and Christ is in this, and I'm in him. So, I'm doing this. I, I have this perspective that Jesus is with me in this, and I'm doing it for you and I'm doing it for him. But that ultimately, he's got this, this bigger view of what's going on. He so loved that people got to hear about Christ. He so wanted people to know to Christ, come to Christ. He says, if it if, if takes me sitting in a room, eating stale bread, sleeping on a floor, chained to a Roman guard, if it takes that for more people to hear about Jesus, I'm okay with this for now. Because they get to hear about Jesus. And that's what I want. It's just a bigger and broader perspective about what God is doing. And the irony is the very his attitude and his ability to have joy in that actually proclaims Jesus more. Because, because he's in jail, we get a book called Colossians. If you went arrested, if you went in jail, we don't get Colossians. If he's not in jail, we don't get the book in the Bible that speaks about joy more than any other, the book of Philippians. Because he wrote that from the same time he wrote this. If he's not in jail, we don't get the book of the Bible that basically talks about being in Christ more than anything else, the book of Ephesians. If we don't get him in jail, we don't get a book on reconciliation and restoration of relationships in the church called Philemon. If we don't get him in jail, we don't get a second jailing. We don't get second Timothy. Think about that. One guy's perspective, having joy in the middle of circumstances that are not ideal, and the church for 2,000 years has been hugely impacted. Hugely impacted, right? To live as Christ, to die as gain, all these great passages. You, you are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand. All these passages, because Paul has the perspective. Because when your goal is to proclaim him, when that's the goal, the, live in the 80s, that's the big picture. It frees you from the tyranny of self so that can serve. It frees you from the tyranny of your circumstances, which you cannot control, and you will not control. And I know that's not easy, especially for the 50% of you in this room that you're like, cancer, just, we just found out diabetes, fill in the blank, loss of job, economy's turning. And Paul doesn't say it's easy. I love the honesty of Paul. He never says this is easy. In fact, look, in verse 24, I rejoice in my what? Sufferings. I have, at the end of the verse, afflictions, which is a word for trouble. Verse 29, I struggle. That's the word we get our English word agonized from. For this, I toil. It's a word that means to, to work to exhaustion. Right? He's he's owning the fact that we all know that life is hard sometimes because of the fall, because of sin. Sometimes, y'all, life kicks you square in the teeth and it stinks. When you lose a loved one, that's hard. When you're living paycheck to paycheck sometimes, that's hard. Paying off college loans, That's hard. Getting dumped. Not being able to have children. Having wayward children. Losing your job. Having a business fail. Having someone slander you. Loving someone and not loving in return. Down, down, Down the line. Fill in the blank. That's hard. But how we handle that proclaims something about what we believe. And it is an opportunity to display Jesus. You say, How can I do that? Let me give you four quick thoughts and we'll keep moving. How do we do that? Number one, we do that by remembering that Jesus has not abandoned us and He can't. I love Isaiah 43 when you pass through the waters, I am with you. The rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Flames shall not consume you. Jesus has not abandoned his church. Again, 24, I rejoice in my sufferings. I, 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 what Christ is lacking, he is there. Christ in you later, the hope of glory. He speaks about the riches and the insurance and all these, all these times in chapter two and at the end of one. And the idea there is when you treasure Christ above all else, if I lose all else, I still have Christ, If you, if you make it about Georgia football or Georgia Tech football or a girlfriend or money, what happens if you lose your money? You've lost everything if it's about that. But if you make Christ your cause and you make that your goal, you can never lose that and that's the point. So we treasure Christ, right? We treasure Christ knowing that one day he'll make every wrong right, that he'll wipe away every tear, that when you've been unjustly treated, he'll deal with that, don't you worry. He'll take care of it, right? He's the avenger. We sing a song, it's one of my favorite songs. Um, It's called uh, King of My Heart. And uh, the bridge goes something like this. It's like, you're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You know that song, right? Um, If you sing that bridge in isolation, it's kind of hollow a little bit, right? Because sometimes I feel let down. I I do. That's why there's a chorus says, you are good, good, oh. The O has no theological value, but it just fits, right? (laughs) But you start with, You are good, and because you are good now, I know that you will never let me down. However you sovereignly work in my life, if that's cancer, loss of job, struggling, not getting into college, not married yet, whatever that is, even though I feel let down, I know because you are good that I have not been let down. See, that's the point. That's what we start with, you are good, right? And so that's where we go. We know that Christ has not abandoned us. Secondly. Don't struggle alone, whatever you do. Paul's not alone. Just because he's writing, he's got uh, Epaphras there, he's got Timothy, he's got Tychicus, he's got Justice, he's got Luke. He's got a whole bunch of dudes in his little community group in there. And he says in chapter two that his prayer is that their hearts are are encouraged. What growth looks like is being knit together in love. The word knit is the word we get, our word for like ligaments, ligaments. You blow an ACL, your knee's toast, you can't run, you can't do anything, it hurts. That's what happens when you're alone, when there's nothing knit together. You need to be knit together, and I know if it's embarrassing, well your kid's this, or your marriage is this, and I got no money, but you do not need to struggle alone. And if you try to, you're gonna fail, and you're stealing the opportunity for someone else to proclaim Christ in serving you. This is why, it's a body, right? And so, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Third is, is don't be surprised when it happens because life will kick you in the teeth. All right, Peter, I love, he says, don't be surprised. Fiery trial when it comes to you. Why? To test you as though you something strange. It's not weird. It's not strange. It's normal because of the fall. But rejoice, there's that theme of rejoice again. And as far as you share Christ's suffering, same idea of where do you think these guys are getting this from? that you may rejoice and be glad when glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. But I love this line. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief an evildoer or as a meddler. Don't, don't go out and start you know, lobbing moral grenades on Facebook or political grenades and think, well, they just don't like me because I'm a Christian. No, it's because you're an idiot. You're not being persecuted for Jesus. You're being persecuted because you're being arrogant. Right? Well, they fired me because I read my Bible. No, it's because you were late every day and your work stinks and you're slandering people. He says, don't suffer for being a nincompoop, for being a crackhead. You suffer, be it because you love Jesus. And, and, and if, is the, the, the more you walk with Christ and try to serve him, proclaim him, the more you're gonna see how opposite the, the culture is. Doesn't mean we're arrogant, doesn't mean we're, we're rude, right, but we're gonna proclaim him, we're gonna point people to him. And so when you struggle, whether it's because of just common struggling or because of Christian suffering, just don't, don't be surprised, right? It's not, it shouldn't be a shocker here. And the last thing is ask for strength. Be together with people and ask God for help. This is what Paul says. He says, I toil, I struggle with his energy, with his strength. He's powerfully working in me. God wants us to persevere. He wants us to grow. You can't miss Paul's desire for them to grow, right? He said, I want you to grow. Knit together, being knit together, having assurance of salvation, having, uh, not being deluded, verse, verse four, not being tricked, Rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness. This is a passage about growth and how he wants that. It's one of the peripherals. But you know, the, num, one of the number one ways we grow is when we struggle. And that's a hard truth, but that's a reality. And that's where you actually build community. When you struggle with people, when, and if you were in the military or any type, you went like me at the Citadel, when you went to boot camp with a bunch of guys or gals, you came out of that thing and you were tight. Why? Because you suffered together and you carried one another's burdens. And there's something about struggling together and wrestling together that brings you together. Why, because suffering brings growth. And we run from it, and I'm not saying we should run to it, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't always try to get out because this is where growth takes place. You are made stronger. Remember that scene in Remember the Titans? Great, great movie, right, Denzel Washington. Herman Boone, he's, he's has them all. He's got the, the team. They integrated the two schools and he's got the team there and they don't like each other. He takes them to Gettysburg and they're all running. They're tired. And he said, we gotta come together. Right? And they suffer together and struggle together and that makes them champions. Right? There's something about struggling that makes us strong. And it's not fun, but that's the goal, to be more like Jesus. Because of the hope set before he ran that race and so do we. And so when you're here and you're going through a tough time maybe you physically are broken and maybe you're going through chemo or maybe you just lost somebody but you're here and you can sing still you are good. Maybe it's with tears in your eyes it proclaims something to the people around you that are like they're proclaiming Jesus in suffering and I have it made. It is a, it is a sermon in itself it says something. When you can go to work and your boss is a jerk and he or she is constantly on everybody and you can speak respectfully and not trash talk them in the lunchroom, It proclaims something. When you have a spouse who is unloving or not following Jesus and you still are and you're responding with love, it proclaims something. When you have a roommate who's partying and sleeping around and they invite you to do it every time and you say no and I'm not gonna do it but you still love them but you're not gonna do it, it proclaims something. Right? It, it's what we're supposed to be about. What's that driving point that he wants them to proclaim to know Christ? How? By, by struggling well, by serving each other. And one more thing, real quick. We'll cover this more in a couple weeks. Is that by, by fulfilling your assignment. You proclaim him by fulfilling your assignment. What's that mean? Paul says this, I became a minister according to the stewardship. That word stewardship just means it's his assignment that he has been given gifts and talent and a directive from the chief and then he is he to do that and he will give an answer back to the chief. And his specific stewardship is he's gonna be an apostle. This letter is a part of his stewardship. He is going to go to the Gentiles. He's going to proclaim the mystery of, that was been hidden for ages but now has been revealed to his saints. That's his stewardship, right? He's going to uh, make known fully uh, the word of God, his stewardship is not the same as mine. Similar, my job is to preach this the hard stuff and the easy stuff, to make it fully known, to expose the truth. You need to repent of your sin. You need to put your faith in the gospel. That's the full truth. So at the end of Paul's life, we're close to it, he says, I haven't shrunk back, that no man's, bl- every man's blood's on himself. I'm free. I'm, I'm guilt free. I've done my job the best I can. That was his stewardship. Right? And the church as a whole has a stewardship. We have a commission to make disciples. But did you realize that God has given you an assignment individually? Each one of you? You say, What is it? I, say, I have no clue. That's yours to figure out. Now, there's some, there's some parameters. God has given you natural talents, God has given you a spiritual gift, at least one. He's given you a job or a family, he's giving you money, he's giving you the same amount of time as everyone else. Everyone here's got equal time, 24 hours a day. He's giving you a church, he's giving all these things. And he says, okay, here, I, your job is to use these things for my name and, and I'm gonna one day, you're gonna stand before the Lord Jesus. Believe it or not, you're, you say, well, I'm a Christian, I won't be judged. You will stand before the Lord Jesus and he will evaluate your life as a follower, not for your sin, but for your service. He's gonna say, I gave you $17 million. How'd you use it for the kingdom? He already knows. He's just asking. And you're gonna—it'll be exposed. And some people will be given more, and some people will be taken away. I give you this gift. I give you this. And the beauty is, you're evaluated by which God has given you. He may have given you a pair of twos, and he may have given this guy a full house. The great thing is, this guy's gonna be evaluated on his full house, and you're gonna be evaluated on your twos. So, what question is? What are you doing with yours? You got treasure. You got time. You got talents. You say, oh, I'm just a high school athlete. Great, treat your uh, coach with respect. Don't be yelling at the umpire, he's not, a, he's not perfect. Exalt, try to get your teammates encouraged, try to support them. That's a way you proclaim them. You say, I, I just got a small business. Good, then you use your, your, your business to do things with excellent and treat people kindly. Point people to him. You got a big business, great. You should be being generous with your employees and you should be showing them the love of Christ and be kind and show them what, what it means to be a servant. I mean, I, there's, there's multiple things. You're an artist, you're creative, that you reflect the creativity of God in a different way, then good. Then you use your art, your task, your craft, wait, to somehow point to him. That doesn't mean put John three sixteen on everything you do. Right? But it means, hey, this, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna somehow glorify God with this. You're a numbers guy, you're a numbers gal, you love spreadsheets, you're weird like that. Great, God is a God of order, we need that. So do you do that for the glory of God and make sure runs, things run efficiently? And you point people to hey man, that's just, I love, I love Excel, right? And, and I love, because God has got to order, whatever that is. You're a stay-at-home mom, you're shepherding those little ones, you're praying for their souls, you're praying for their future spouses, you're point, whatever it is, we'll fig- you figure it out, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do in word or deed, you do it for him. That's the point. You have money, you should be using it for God's glory, you should pay your bills on time, you should be generous with it. But that looks like you gotta figure that out. You got time, you should be using some of your time, yes, for your own exercise, yes, for your own hobbies, you should be giving some of your time away to serve Jesus somehow, period, end of story. I'm not trying to guilt you, I'm just telling you. You will stand before Jesus, he's not gonna really care. Well, wow, wow, you spent six hours every Saturday, we're exercising. You look great now in that glorified body I gave you. <laughs> so use it for him, right? What that looks like, you gotta figure that out. Do it in community, ask others. So they might say, you are horrible with the books, stay away from the books, but you're great with people, go hang out with people, love on them. Figure it out, All Right? It hurts me that my children will never be able to ride in the back of a station wagon, or get singed by one of those GM seat belts we used to sit down and be like, oh, remember that? You know, the GM seat belts that would steel, remember those, you remember those, right? They'll never know what a swatch watch was. Oh, swatch watches, is so good. But they can proclaim Christ, and so can we all. And that's our job. We proclaim him, right? We do it, and again, three words. Here's your three words. We'll go to take these to worship, right? Serve, suffer, steward. If you're a Baptist, there's your S's. That's the point. How do I proclaim Jesus? I serve. How do I proclaim Jesus? I suffer well. How do I proclaim Jesus? I steward His stuff. There you go. Let's do that. Let me. Let's stand. Let's let's, let's worship, and we'll reflect on that as we sing. Father, I ask that as we uh, as we pray, as we sing, as we think about these things. there's a lot there. I just, I just threw a lot up there, but uh, wherever your people are, Lord, whether if they're struggling right now, help them to be strengthened by Your strength. To do it with others. To know that you have not abandoned them, to know this is not something new, uh, that you're not surprised by it. Lord, for those who are not giving them their lives away at all, they would see that's the call of the follower of Jesus. Uh, For those who, uh, we've been given so much as a a church, as a people, as Americans uh, in an American city, uh, we're so wealthy and so uh, self-centered at times. Help us to be other-centered give our time and our treasure and our talents for you. Pray that you would use these things so that Jesus is exalted. Him we proclaim. That's our goal. It's in Christ's name.